0: sure you figured out by now as we've said it several times we're celebrating our 1 year anniversary it's a milestone for us and what a year it has been we're going to share a little bit about that with you today even as we look ahead to the future of upcountry church and i'll just start out by saying i want you to know that right now you're experiencing the realization of a dream it's a dream that started with my wife and I and then our kids and, and then a handful of friends and then many of you who've come alongside us to build this ministry. And make no mistake, and I know this was God's idea. And it was birthed in us. And it has been realized through you. Most of you know by now, and you've heard the testimony of how we got here, so I'm not going to go back through all of that today. But I will just mention briefly that a little over four years ago, We were living in Greenville, running two small construction companies, serving in ministry part-time at a large church there, and we were desperate for something more, not materially more. We had pretty much everything we wanted. We were searching for a life that would take us somewhere beyond simply living for ourselves. And of course, we knew that that meant a deeper devotion to God we we talked about that a couple of weeks ago in service here. We knew 4 years ago that we needed to make a greater commitment to living for Christ. And that was going to mean for us a greater sacrifice. You see, because commitment to Christ always starts here in the heart. But at some point it has to lead here to our hands, you know, to what we do. If our commitment to Christ stays perpetually hidden in the depths of our hearts and we never allow it to translate into the work of our hands, we may well be saved, you know, born again, but we will also be largely ineffective for the kingdom of God and his purposes. We live north of Highway 11, up, up in the mountains, between Table Rock and Caesar's Head in a small cabin. It's, it's beautiful. And every day, I make the commute from home to here and back again for work. And I go back in the evening. And for those of you familiar with Highway 11, you know there are these long, straight stretches of road that cut right through the middle of deep forest and mountains and rivers and lakes and trees as far as you can see on both sides of the road. And I drive down that road every day, twice a day. And without fail, at least a couple of times a week as I'm driving down that road... I'll encounter a squirrel standing in the middle of the road. And pretty much every time, in fact, it happened to us this morning, the squirrel's just standing there looking very nervous, probably because there's a 6,000-pound hunk of metal on wheels careening down the highway toward it, and I get that. But as I get closer to the squirrel, invariably it starts darting back and forth in the middle of the road. You know what I'm talking about? As if it's not sure what it should do. And I have to be honest with you here. This has been one of the great mysteries of my life. I hope someday to understand this. There, there are a few things that a squirrel wants out of life. He wants some acorns. He wants some nuts. Maybe a few seeds. A comfortable nest. And if he's of age, a female squirrel to share it with, right? Right? On the left side of the road on Highway 11, there are thousands and thousands of acres full of acorns and pine nuts and seeds and nest-making materials and girl squirrels. (laughs) The right side of the road is basically the same, but in the middle of the road, there's none of that. Asphalt and cars, that's it. And I'm watching this squirrel dance around in the middle of the highway. 20 feet to the right of him is everything he could ever want. Make a nest. Fill it with your favorite food. Settle down with a nice she-squirrel. Have some squirrel babies. They could home-squirrel them. I've heard the public squirrel system isn't what it used to be. Everything a squirrel could possibly want in this life, and all he has to do is take a few steps to the right or to the left, but that's not what he does. He stands there in the middle of the road and dances around. The one place that holds nothing for him. And like paralyzed by his own fear and indecision, he can't get out of the road, and his refusal to move, as you know often, will get him flattened by a car. It absolutely baffles me. And one day I'm telling you, I'm going to ask Jesus, what is it about the road that draws the squirrel to it? But I'll say this. For a long time, my life was kind of like that squirrel. I had one foot in the ministry, living for others, and one foot in my kingdom, living for myself. And I was stuck in the middle of the road, paralyzed by indecision and fear, until I finally heeded the voice of the Holy Spirit got out of my own way, and got on with the call that he'd placed in my life. I knew that was going to require a greater sacrifice, risk, uncertainty. Answering that call, as many of you know, led us away from here for several years to Alaska, and then to England for seminary. Through many adventures, we walked through some pretty tight spots at times, and it has led us to this place. It has led us to you. And so we're grateful to be here in this church, sharing this adventure with you, because the truth is, this is exactly where we're supposed to be. So we're going to talk about this adventure for a few minutes, this journey that we've been on, and and what God has been teaching us this past year since we started Upcountry Church. For those of you who are already a part of our family here, you know that normally we take a passage of Scripture, Uh, Maybe a chapter out of the Bible or a book of the Bible and we preach and teach through it verse by verse. And we'll do a little bit of that today, but it's going to be a little different today. Today we're just going to revisit some of those moments that have taught me so much and share some of the lessons that we've learned along the way. And maybe we'll look ahead if we have time even to what's coming our way in the future. But it all starts with a big renovation on a little building at Number 2 Church Street in Traveler's Rest. We took on a major project when we purchased this building. And I don't know how well you can see by some of the pictures, but it needed a lot of work. There was old carpet in here. There was worn out linoleum. It had seen a lot of hard use over the years. Five, I think, congregations before us in the past 80 years. It needed some TLC. And in that process of taking something old and worn and broken and tearing out the old and building back new, attending to the neglected parts and cleaning it up and renovating and making it new again, you know, breathing new life into it, that process taught me a lot about the work that God is doing in all of our lives and, and what He's doing with His church, this family of faith that we all belong to. So let's turn, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to talk a little bit today about renovation. And I'll give you just a little backstory here about this text. Paul, as you know, was a church planner, the Apostle Paul. And he planted this church in Corinth, and as it happens in churches from time to time, there was some trouble brewing. The Corinthian Christians were becoming divided because some of the more powerful, influential members of the church were becoming increasingly arrogant and progressively more concerned about their influence and prominence rather than being concerned for one another. And so Paul writes this letter to them and he's urging them to quit acting like kids. Get your act together. Get on with the work that God has assigned to them, namely propagating the gospel, preaching the truth about Jesus Christ, building up those who are weak in the faith, serving one another instead of competing with one another. Right. In short, Paul's trying to explain to these church people, these Christians, that God isn't finished with you yet. Just because you've accepted the truth doesn't mean that it's been perfected in you yet. Okay. The truth is, we're all being renovated by God. We're continually being made new. Renewed by the Spirit of God within us. In 2 Corinthians, which is actually Paul's fourth letter to the church there, he says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's chapter 4, verse 16. The Bible uses another term to describe this process. It's called sanctification. The idea that God is constantly working on us, all of us, so that His truth can be perfected in us. What is His truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're a follower of Christ, you're perpetually being sanctified by God, renovated, worked on, improved, so that you may be able to come into perfect union with Jesus Christ, the truth. And he does that, renovation in us, by our capitulation, our cooperation. And the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Our spirit and his spirit in perfect union, in perfect harmony. And by writing this letter, Paul's trying to get the Corinthian Christians to understand this. It's time to grow up and, and get on with the work of the gospel. And one of the key points that Paul highlights in this passage to the Corinthians is that renovation is a process. It's not an event. Let's read it together. First Corinthians, we'll start with the first four verses. Chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? In other words, hey guys, you're not there yet, so stop acting like you've arrived. This Christian life, this renovation process is ongoing in all of us, so no one has the right to boast. Hebrews 10.4 says that we're being sanctified. You see, it's an ongoing process. Christ's sacrifice on the cross provided for our complete sanctification once and for all. That was a one-time event. But for our part, it's a process. Why? Because we're flawed. We're imperfect people, right? The truth is, we're all a bit messed up, aren't we? I sure am. It's just a fact. But the really, really great news is, He isn't giving up on us. And neither should we give up on each other renovation is a process. It's not an event. We purchased this building while we were in, uh, still living in Alaska, knowing that we would be coming back to do this. So other than some pictures and family who lives here who were coming by to see it, there was some unknown for us as far as the scope of what was going to have to be done on the building. There was old, stained, really nasty blue carpet in the sanctuary on every square inch of the floor and the stage and the offices. The foyer and the fellowship hall downstairs had really old linoleum, wall-to-wall, and ceramic tile in places, and it was all mixed in together. The entire building needed to be repainted and cleaned. The bathrooms were a mess. The utilities, electrical and and plumbing, had issues throughout the entire building. And you know if you've ever done this, when you walk into a fixer-upper, you want to be optimistic. And I, I remember thinking, this isn't so bad. And so, you know, we'll pull out the old carpet, we'll put down some new, that'll be, that'll be quick and easy, right? And the truth is, we did get a good deal on this building. We had a great deal. And it is a great facility, but it's also true that the amount of work involved in getting it to this point was far greater than what I had anticipated. Go figure. As soon as Keith and I started ripping out the carpet we realized that every square inch of the carpet was glued down to the floor. So it was many days and nights of he and I taking turns pulling up strips of carpet until we were completely worn out. And then on Sundays, we'd scrape all the dirt and old carpet and trash up into piles and drag a couple pews back into the room and we'd have a little church service. Alex and Kayla and I would lead worship without any microphones or amplifiers. It was very simple, it was very basic, and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. Because each week you could see the transformation taking place right before your eyes. You know, we're still working on this building. And I imagine that as long as we own it, we probably always will be. Because renovation is an ongoing process. It's not an event. And along the way... We have found these hidden treasures that we didn't expect. It turns out there were hardwood floors under the carpet. They were completely coated with carpet glue that had to be sanded off, which was a whole project in and of itself. But what a joy to find something so beautiful that was covered up by something so tattered and beat up and worn out. So this old building has taught me a few lessons. God's working on all of us. And it's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time event. And of course, we all need to make you know, an initial commitment to Christ. That moment when we submit our lives to Him and we make a decision to become a follower of Christ. But everything about the Christian life after that is a process. It's a journey. And what will happen along the way, as long as you're allowing God to keep working on you, is that He will uncover some hidden treasures that you didn't even know were there. He'll begin to use talents and gifts and personality traits that are resident inside of you, and he'll draw those out. And the more you allow him to keep renovating your life, the more you find yourself, you'll find yourself using those gifts and talents and personality traits to love other people with, to encourage them, to, to teach them, and to help them. One of, the, one of the greatest parts about being a pastor for me is how much I'm learning and growing and being made better by loving you, simply being your pastor. That's how this church deal is supposed to work. We experience the love of Christ through each other. And in that process... He makes us better. He, he pulls back the worn out parts, the tattered and, and beat up parts and the hurting parts of our lives and he uncovers something beautiful. It's a process and it's not always an easy one to be sure but it's worth it. This is a beautiful building. It's filled with beautiful people and we're all being worked on all the time so none of us has any reason to boast, right? Only to be thankful and to share what He's done for us with one another. That's the love of Christ working in us. And that leads us to the next part of our text and our next point. Renovation is God's job. Our job is to love. God is the renovator. He's the contractor. We're the tools that He uses to get the job done. Okay, let's read back in our text, 1 Corinthians 3. I'll read the next four verses. Starting in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, that's us, one unified body. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. All right. So we're going to be blessed. God's going to bless our efforts, our work, our ministry. But make no mistake about it. He is the one who is responsible for the results. It's his job to renovate. It's our job to love one another as we labor faithfully. Okay? As, As the work progressed on this building, Keith and I soon realized that every single plumbing fixture in the building leaked. The, the sinks, the faucets, the toilets, the water heaters, the baptismal tank, everything leaked. Being the resourceful, confident young men that we are, Keith and I decided that we could replace all of the plumbing ourselves and save some money. It was probably not one of my better decisions. There are just some things that I should never be allowed to do. Keith and I installed new sinks, we installed new faucets, we, we installed new toilets, new plumbing parts everywhere, and when we finished, everything leaked. <laughs> we literally redid the work three or four times over a period of a few weeks, and finally, finally, we were able to stop all the leaks by calling a licensed plumber. It was amazing to see this guy breeze through the church like he's on a break. I mean, he could have a sandwich in one hand. It was almost effortless as he came through the building in like two hours and he fixed all the leaks. You know, sometimes when you need plumbing work done, you just need to call a plumber. Why? Because that's what he's wired to do. I'm not wired for plumbing so when I tried to fix something that I wasn't qualified to fix I made a bigger mess of things you know what I mean? you ever been there? listen the church has messed up a lot of people by trying to fix them when instead we should have been loving them it's God's job to renovate it's our job to love and faithfully serve each other Okay? we, we weren't wired to fix each other we're not qualified for that job. Only God is. Jesus didn't say, fix your neighbor as yourself, did he? What he say? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. We have to do our part, which is to love and serve one another and let him do his part. Those are the parts that only he can, he can do. Only he can bring change. In Acts two forty two through 47, it's one of my favorite parts of Scripture because we're reading there about the genesis of the New Testament church. What an exciting time that was. And those verses describe all of this great stuff that the church members were doing, loving and serving one another. With all the people. Okay, so there's this great ministry, tremendous, and and love and wonderful works going on by the church people. And then what does the last sentence say in verse 47? And the Lord, the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. See, all the great stuff they were doing was great. But it was God who added to their number. When we do our part, He does His part. I really believe that that we, the church, need to spend far less time trying to fix each other and far more time loving one another and serving one another. It says love covers what? A multitude of sins. And besides, when we stop trying to fix everybody, it frees us up to love and serve one another. And then we can let God do the fixing. And I'll tell you what, a lot more gets accomplished that way. That doesn't mean, by the way, that we turn a blind eye to sin. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. But we can't make an alcoholic stop craving alcohol. Right? We, We can't make a homosexual person be a heterosexual. We can't do that. It's not our job. We can't make someone struggling with mental illness whole again. But God can. God can do all those things as long as those people who are addicted and hurting and broken allow Him to work in their lives. And you want to know what will make them want to let God work in their lives? When they experience His love. How do they experience His love? Through us, the church. It's God's job to renovate. It's our job to love people, okay? But here's something else that we need to understand. And as we become fully vested in this family of faith, the church, and in the interest of full disclosure, you need to know that renovation is costly. When we renovate, we will be tested. Let's continue. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's read verses 9 through 15. because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Okay, gold and silver and precious stones were materials used in the construction of Solomon's temple. In contrast to wood and hay and straw, it's used here. This is an image of those works that will stand the test of time and God's judgment and those that will not. Renovation always brings testing. You know, When we finally got to the point where we thought we were done with this first phase of renovation, we had to be tested to see if the work would meet all of the standards of construction. And so our friendly neighborhood building inspectors descended upon us like buzzards on roadkill. It was brutal. And although I'm fairly convinced that they enjoyed watching me whimper like a six-year-old girl every time they failed us on some aspect of the job, the end result of that testing and the extra expense involved was, the result of that was something very beautiful. Something that had new life breathed into it. And it stood through the testing, even when you know it was really difficult for us. Renovation means sacrifice, time, effort, passion, commitment, risk. But the payoff is that we're made new. When we allow God to do His work in us, and sometimes it's costly, sometimes it's painful, but He always makes good on his promises. You'll find that when, you, when you're when you tested in this life, when you experience trials and, and hard times and uncertainty, that the qualities that are the best parts of you will rise to the top when you're allowing God to work in you. And in the end, the good parts of you will become great. The strong parts will become stronger. And all of the, the silly hang-ups will become insignificant. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purposes. When we allow Him to work in us, the result will always be what's best. It may not always feel the best all the time. It it may not be a bigger house or, or a newer car. At times it might be hardship. But in the end, he's always working in us to make us more like Christ, tested, tempered, and proven. So don't give up when testing comes, because it will come. But that's one of the reasons that we're all in this deal together. Sometimes we can't lean on our own understanding. Sometimes we just have to trust God and learn to lean on each other. It, this is a family, and families don't always get it right. We, we mess up, we make mistakes, but in the end, we have to be there for each other, especially, especially when we're being tested. Renovation is costly without a doubt, but it's worth it. And finally today, it's important that we understand that God is renovating His most prized possession. See, you're not just His project. You're His masterpiece. Let's finish our text for today. 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll just read verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Interestingly, Every time the word you is used in those two verses, the Greek word there for you in the original text is plural. When Paul says you in verses 16 and 17, he's referring to the church, all of us together. We are the temple of the living, breathing, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. What renovation project do you care about the most? the one that you're going to live in, right? If you're renovating your garage or your barn, you're working on the office, you're renovating your house, which one do you care the most about? Usually the one that you're going to live in. The Spirit of God dwells in those who live for Him. He's renovating His own house, the Church of Jesus Christ, and it's a masterpiece in the making. Sometimes it looks rough on the outside. It might be even worn, right? Broken beat down, but he specializes in taking broken things and making them beautiful. And most often he does that through us, even as we're being renovated. He, he uses us to bring others closer to him. There, uh, a few weeks ago, a little old lady knocked on our door and came walking in during the week, and she said, would it be okay if I just looked around? And I said, certainly. She said, I was a member of the congregation here for 20 years the church before you and she had heard that we'd renovated the building and she wanted to see it and as she walked around tears welled up in her eyes and she said in all of my life I never could have imagined that this building could look like this it was awesome to see this place through her eyes something so beautiful that God had uncovered that had been in such a rough state one of my greatest joys this past year has been seeing people's lives changed at our church, forming new relationships and watching them grow, You know, seeing folks get involved in ministry and make such a difference in the lives of others. It's been inspiring. Recently we sent out via text a question to most everyone in the church. I found out recently that several of you never received it because we have a group texting app that wasn't working. But many of you got it and you responded to this question, which was this. In your opinion... What is the one thing that Ump Country Church has or does that draws more people than anything else? And this is just a sampling of the responses that we received. Response number one. The one thing that really seems to define us is love for people. We have a come-as-you-are-and-be-yourself attitude. Response number two. Genuine love and fellowship. Everyone wants to be here and stay there. It's really a family. Everyone is expected to be human and accepted as such with all their imperfections. Number three, there's a strong feeling of community and being part of a family full of honest, loving, and caring people. That is what draws me. Number four, I was drawn out by the love that has been shown and the fact that I was needed. Number five, one thing that stands out is the genuine love and care for each other. It's not just verbal love and care, but it's also shown in going beyond words by meeting each other's needs. And lastly, and this is my favorite one of all, I feel completely loved and cared about the minute I walk through the doors. What's the common thread in all of these responses? It's love. When people come here, they're loved. This is why we've grown from a handful of people to over a hundred in our first year. This is God's plan for this church, and it's working. I'm not saying that we're perfect, or that we've loved perfectly, but on the whole, we're getting it right. When people walk through those doors and immediately sense and experience the love of Christ consistently, they're much more open to allowing God to working in them and through them. We can try and fix them, and we'll make a bigger mess. Or we can love them and let God worry about fixing them. Look, this is our mission. Sharing the love of Christ with every individual that walks through those doors, crosses our path, asks us for directions, shares their hurts, asks for prayer, food, warmth, help, our mission is to be the very embodiment of the love of Christ to everyone that we encounter. You're doing a great job, by the way. But we can do better. And I promise you, without question, the more we labor together to that end, the more this church will grow the more we will expand our reach in our community and beyond. We'll plant other churches. We'll be scraping around for buildings to meet in. And we'll influence our world for Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for God's work in my life and in this church. And the truth is we're all on this journey together, aren't we? We're all being renovated together. Let's make... This next year, another milestone. We'll, we'll figure out all the processes and programs. We'll probably be having two services on Sunday before long that, that needs to happen. All of that will get worked out. But in the end, what will keep this project, this family, moving forward is the love of Christ working in us and working through us. Let's focus on that this year, okay? Let's keep our focus on Christ above everything else. Can we do that? Let's pray.